This program is brought to you by PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. To learn more about this podcast, visit pli.edu slash pro bono podcast. I think the hardest thing, Lish, is getting over the skepticism. So if you're sitting back and evaluating it for your company, is this a doable project? It is. It's exciting. And I don't mean to sound trite at all, but what's hard is being a 16-year-old and not knowing where you're going to sleep tonight. So hopefully everybody can get their arms around that and their heads around that and their hearts around that and you know roll up their sleeves for the other states that could use a resource like this. Finding good, accurate, local information about the rates of homeless youth, that can be very difficult. I mean, theoretically, the internet is full of information, but the right information, especially if it's legal, that can be a needle buried in a haystack full of confusing government sites and enticing misinformation. Stay with us to find out how a legal aid program a major law firm, and an international mobility company rolled up their sleeves to help put good information in the hands of young people who need it and built strong bonds between their organizations in the process. Welcome to Pursuing Justice, The Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. We are here to tell pro bono stories, stories that we hope inspire you to take your own pro bono legal work to the next level. I'm your host, Alicia Aiken. I've worked in civil rights, criminal defense, and civil legal aid, but now I'm a principal at the Danu Center for Strategic Advocacy and a faculty fellow at PLI. And I love getting to talk with volunteer lawyers and nonprofit legal projects around the country about the pro bono work that matters to them. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. So we'll talk today with the team that led the creation of the Homeless Youth Handbook for Missouri. And by talking with them, we'll learn how Baker and McKenzie leverages a creative approach to pro bono by in-house corporate counsel to meet the needs of youth. Their state-by-state project builds community, and it empowers everyone in the state, adults and youth, to be smarter about what is possible for young people navigating crisis. Let's start by introducing you to that team. First, you have the subject matter experts at Legal Services of Eastern Missouri. My name is Tori Dempsey. I'm the program director and staff attorney with Legal Services of Eastern Missouri's Youth and Family Advocacy Program. Um, In particular, our program is dedicated to representing unaccompanied youth, so youth who are not living with a parent or legal guardian who are ages 19 years of age and younger and experiencing housing instability in the St. Louis region. Hi, I'm Amanda Schneider. I'm currently the managing attorney of the Education Justice Program at Legal Services of Eastern Missouri. A lot of the work that we do is around um, the education law rights of students experiencing homelessness. And that is how I came to work on this project. Great to be here today. Amanda and Tori, they are the Missouri experts. And they have their plates pretty full, helping youth and families in need. Project like this one That can only happen when you have an organizer, someone with a vision and a focus to create and lead the team. For the Homeless Youth Handbooks, that leadership comes from Baker and McKenzie Law Firm. My name is Jackie Pampel. I am a pro bono partner at Baker and McKenzie. Baker McKenzie's pro bono practice focuses on issues all across the globe, but really for us, a big part of our focus is on children's rights and legal issues stemming from that. And finally, you need brain power and hard work from a diligent pro bono legal team. They dig in to get the research and the writing done and move the project forward. And that group here is led by Mike Andrew. 
at Enterprise. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. And my name's Mike Andrew. I'm Chief Legal and Legislative Officer for Enterprise Mobility, a St. Louis-based company that's been in the mobility space for about 67 years. And ever since our company was founded by Jack Taylor, we've lived by values that we're going to change communities one neighborhood at a time. Okay, so that's the Missouri team. Let's talk about the problem that Baker and McKenzie has been working on one state at a time for years. Jackie, what are the problems that you think homeless youth face in terms of the law and getting information about the law? Homeless youth experience all the problems, right? If you're a young person and you're living in trauma and you're living without a parent or guardian or you're unhoused in some capacity, then your issues are in every facet of your life. Everything from how do I get in school and stay in school? What happens if I have to move to a different foster home or if I'm on the street? How am I able to get into school? When can I get a job? What can I do by myself if I don't have a parent or guardian that's able to help me? And these legal rights entrench every single aspect of young people's lives. And as part of that, being able to understand your legal rights and the resources available to you is a real challenge. The internet is a beautiful place of a lot of information, but a lot of that information is wrong, inaccurate, misleading, or hard to muddle through. So if you're a young person just trying to figure out how you can get a legal form of identification at the age of 17 without a parent or guardian, that's a complicated question and it shouldn't be. So all of the legal issues that young people face are kind of almost, let's say legal issues on steroids, right? For young people in trauma. And if you layer on top of that for young people experiencing homelessness, and a lot of young people that are without a parent or guardian or reliable adult, that makes access to information about their legal rights almost an insurmountable feat for young people. This is for both Tori and Amanda, whichever of you. What do you think are some of the biggest legal needs and barriers for homeless youth in Missouri? I think Jackie had done an excellent job kind of providing kind of the whole scope of legal needs among young people here. So here in the state of Missouri, there is no statutory emancipation. So there's no clear court process by which a young person can go through and become legally emancipated by a court. Instead, what we have is the qualified minor law. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of information regarding statutory emancipation here, Surrey. So I would say at least for unaccompanied minors, accessing basic services like health care that includes medical and mental health care, notification, housing, um, accessing education without parental consent, employment, all of those things are a real challenge for young people in our state. And that's in no small part, again, because a lot of even state agencies will initially require emancipation paperwork in order to serve a young person. I would say another huge issue for young people, too, is just accessing basic identification documents. It's something that we all take for granted, but oftentimes when a young person is forced to leave a situation, they don't have the foresight to, hey, mom, can I grab my social security card, my birth certificate, my state ID? The one other thing I'll say Survivor benefits, social security survivor benefits is a huge um, need among this community because a lot of times young people are finding themselves unhoused because they've lost a parent. And they're also oftentimes entitled to social security survivor benefits. So we do a lot of work with advocating that young person be their own representative payee so that they can directly receive the benefits that were intended for them. Honestly, like everything, anything that, you know, is basic to human survival to me, is a legal issue. Right. I would only add, yeah, as an education lawyer, I want to make sure that the youth understands their rights, you know, to access education. But I think what we've learned over the many years, what I've learned, you know, over the many years of doing this is that is not top of mind when you don't have housing or any money or income or benefits really to sustain your life. It's not the priority, unfortunately, but getting those things in place allows the youth at some point, I think, to shift focus and pivot back to accessing education, you know, graduation from high school, you know, really thinking about those post-secondary goals that they have. Did you catch Tori's point about some unique Missouri law? Emancipated minor is a term that sounds at least familiar to most lawyers and government agencies. Generically, 
It means a court has recognized that a minor can be formally treated as an adult by all systems. But Missouri doesn't have an emancipated minor law. Why is that important to us? Because it is a reminder that laws are state-specific. Most of the laws that impact a young person trying to get by on their own are local, not national. Any resource that educates youth about their rights has to be specific to the local situation. But if you want to actually address the problem everywhere, you need someone with a national vision. And that's where Baker and McKenzie has taken the lead. So knowing that Baker has a long history of deep involvement on pro bono, especially around kids' issues, what led you to get involved in trying to address this particular issue of homeless youth? Well, I guess like most good solutions, they start from a challenging problem. So when we first began the Homeless Youth Handbook series, it was back, I want to say 10 years ago, but it probably was longer than that at this point. We were working with an organization in Washington State called Columbia Legal Services and doing some work with them separately on amicus briefing and other work in the state on issues related to children's rights. And at the time, Columbia Legal Services had a hotline that young people can call and got answers to information and questions that they had if they were homeless and having issues, trying to find shelter, trying to understand what their legal rights were to answer some of these challenging questions like we talked about. And that hotline, unfortunately, just due to funding crunches, ended up having to be closed. So that resource that was so central to young people in Washington wasn't there anymore. So Columbia Legal Service came to us and said, would you be willing to create a pamphlet on legal issues faced by young people helping to identify their legal rights and resources available to them so that we have something to give young people to help kind of move them in the right direction? And like all good legal answers, a pamphlet just wasn't going to cut it, right? (laughs) So a short pamphlet on some of the challenging issues just wasn't going to even scratch the surface of the kind of questions that young people faced. And so that was really kind of how the Homeless Youth Handbook series was born. What Jackie calls the Homeless Youth Handbook is really a set of separate handbooks customized for states. Currently, there are handbooks for 13 states, and you can find all of them at homelessyouth.org. But it all got started as a way to fix a hole in the resources for youth in Washington. The questions and the topics covered in the Homeless Youth Handbook, which are about 20 substantive topics and, you know, hundreds of questions within each of those topics, were all driven by the questions that at that time Columbia Legal Services had gotten from their hotline and from other young people that they were helping in the state. So we jumped in two feet first and said, yes, we'd love to do this. But part of our mission in our pro bono work at Baker is to do things with friends and expand our reach as far as the pro bono work is done. And so thinking that this was such a central issue in the state of Washington, we reached out to Starbucks, who we had worked with, to ask them if they would be interested in investing in this work and partnering with us to produce the content of the Homeless Youth Handbook. And Starbucks was invested from the front and wanted to bring their legal team in so that their team and our team could work together to answer all of these challenging questions posed by young people from a Washington state law perspective. All of that work was done together in partnership and under the guidance of Columbia Legal Services, who reviewed the chapters, gave us substantive comments, and really helped direct us so that we could ensure that the work we are doing was really at that state level and making sure we incorporated all of those resources and reliable organizations. And that model since that time has just been replicated 13 plus times forward at this point, because it's been such a powerful way to not only get the work done, which is hundreds of volunteers on every single handbook, but also bring in the investment of community leaders like Legal Services of Eastern Missouri, community leaders like Enterprise that are really invested in legal issues in their community and the most underserved populations. And So you say 13 plus times. Is that how many states it's in? Yep. So we have, if you look at www.homelessyouth.com, we have 13 published handbooks, two in production currently, 
And we're always at the starting point of conversations on next states for which we're going to produce a homeless youth handbook. And it's a little bit of a lead time because every state, we try to really make that central to the legal issues in that particular state. So we will leverage off the questions from the past handbook, but we always ask our community partners, in particular our nonprofit, what we always call our experts, our nonprofit experts, to really look at those questions and those chapters and say, how do we make this a more useful tool in this state for young people? So that work and those questions and those topics tweak every single time with each handbook. You say handbook because I'm over 50. <laughs> I think you printed out a book. And, you know, maybe it's fancy with three ring binders. Is that what you mean when you say handbook? That is a great question, Lish. So I mean two things when I say a homeless youth handbook. So the homeless youth handbook is, it started off more as a physical handbook, but we always had that information on a website. So it's basically a handbook, physical, and a website. And we still do both of those. In some states, that physical handbook is so incredibly important to serve more remote areas. So we make sure we get that printed and sent out to as many places as possible so that folks have access to it. And we obviously always keep the website at the forefront because that's how most folks get access to information is on the website. You mentioned that there's a lot of bad information on the internet, you know, as well as a lot of good information. Do you have any idea or a theory about what you can do to try to make your accurate information come up earlier in a search? or stand out for youth? That's, gosh, that's a great question. And one of the challenges we face, of course, to make sure that our handbook is getting as many quote unquote hits online as possible. You know, I think we have to work with the the folks that do the algorithms on all the search capabilities to make sure we're getting up there. A big piece of it though, is really linking to the handbook with within other organizations and other places in the state. We're always trying to work with other organizations in the state to make sure that they reference the handbook on their site too, right? So you can find it on the Homeless Youth website, but you can find it in other places as well. I think Florida, we have a Florida handbook as well as one of our earliest handbooks. They've done a particularly good job about making sure that handbook is linked in as many state organizations as possible so that folks find it more easily. Because the handbook is online, Baker and McKenzie is able to see trends about which sections of the handbook draw the most interest. It doesn't shock me that some of the chapters that get the most frequent traffic are LGBTQ plus chapters. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about young people that are looking for information on their legal rights and for resources, and they may have a parent or guardian, they may not want to talk to that adult in their life. They may not feel safe doing so. So one of the chapters that is most commonly accessed is that LGBTQ plus chapter. Mm -hmm. And what I always tell volunteers when we're doing the training is use your professional, helpful adult filter to make sure it's somewhere that you would send your child or your neighbor for information. In a lot of states, law and theory of approaches to the law, they don't imagine kids being alone. They imagine that either kids are with their parents, with the state maybe, because it's child mm -hmm. welfare is in charge, or that our job is to get them connected to one of those two places. And I can imagine, and I'm going to open this up to anybody, that there might be some people who say, why are we giving youth a lot of information about what they can do alone, shouldn't we be focusing our efforts on just reconnecting them to an adult who can be in charge? Why is connecting them to information on their own so they can act on their own worth an investment of time and resources? And I don't know. And I'm going to open this up to anybody because I see Tori yeah. shaking her head. Yeah, go, go ahead, Tori. Just quickly, a lot of what we do in our program is kind of confronting that really adultist mindset. So adultism is this idea that we have a prejudice against young people and that we automatically assume that the decisions of adult hold more weight and essentially that young people are not the experts of their own life. That this young person is coming to me asking me for assistance. Where is an adult? There must be an adult. And 
in almost every case, there's a lot of pushback. Um, there's also this kind of assumption that perhaps that young person isn't being truthful about their situation. And there really seems to be a misunderstanding of what youth homelessness is. Um, and so a lot of the work that we do is talking with state agencies, making sure that they understand the circumstances that this young person is finding themselves in um, and kind of kind running against that adultist mentality and making sure that these folks are getting the services that they need without a parent. And in almost every situation, all my clients, they don't have a responsible adult to make that decision for them. And the young person themselves is fully capable of understanding their situation and making a well-informed decision. So Tori and Amanda, they have the expertise to understand the rights of youth, but they can't possibly directly represent every youth in the state of Missouri. A Missouri-specific handbook for youth? That's exactly what they needed to support their work. So how did the handbook project get to Missouri? Mike, how did you first find out about it? So so Jackie alluded to Florida being one of their books that's aligned there. The Florida book, the champion on that is the Walt Disney Company. I have some very good professional and personal friends that are part of the Walt Disney efforts down there, including Scott Justice. We have a long history together, both as friends and professional colleagues. And he called and said, you have to do this. And I was a little bit skeptical at first, but I'll start with Jackie and her other partner that's kind of the lead, a champion of this, Angela the Heel. It's hard to say no to them in the first place. Disney's had some great success with it. They were also the champion behind the DC book that's been done as well. And it just, I think the part that he was able to share with me that then when I sat down with our team is what really kind of, we talked about, I'll use magic since we're talking about our magic kingdom connection in that case. But the magic for our lawyers was seeing how we could collectively get involved and return so much. And what that kind of transformed into is a true passion project. Well, I'm going to ask you to get in the Wayback Machine. Sure. Because you said that when your friend first reached out to you about it, that you were a little skeptical at first. So talk me through when you first heard about it, what made you kind of cock your head and go, well, yeah, Liz, it's probably what a lot of general counsels might be considering. It, it is, for most organizations, you're talking about legal areas that are out of individual subject matter expertises. And most corporate legal teams are leanly staffed or carefully staffed as against the obligations that the company needs us to do in our day-to-day jobs. So the skepticism wasn't the importance of the project so much as was it where we could manage it and be successful and commit to do it. When you're talking about asking lawyers, in some cases, they may have never looked at the subject. In other cases, it might have been back when they studied for the bar. And so there was part of that and also understanding what the actual time commitment was going to be, because we tend to, whatever we say we're going to do, we want to do. So we're always thoughtful, both individually and corporate. If we raise our hands to do something, we're going to put the full weight of the company behind it. So that was the original skepticism. And I think what gave us great comfort at the beginning, and then they honored it all the way through the process, is Baker McKenzie has such a unique playbook here. And they bring the resources of the firm and they partner their lawyers with it. And they actually do make it where you can be successful as a legal department in doing this, even if you're out of your subject area. And there are times you know, I, it was probably a year-long project as we were going through and doing the different researches. There might be a change in career. You might have people that are added to the team or otherwise. And Baker has the ability to flex resources in to help as you might need to do it. So when they say we try to make it easy, they do. And that was part of the original skepticism, was just making sure we could meet the commitment that we wanted to do. And Baker and McKenzie makes it really easy to do that. Yes. And we've had a long relationship with Baker and McKenzie and had, we had been looking for a project to work together anyway, but you get on the phone, you spend some time, as Jackie just so eloquently explained the need here. And then Enterprise, our home is St. Louis. Our corporate historic home is St. Louis and Missouri. And it's where the family started the business. So as we understood that state-by-state need as a law department, we'd been looking for a project where we could get our entire legal team, if you will, circled and focused on one project together. We've got a long history as a company of encouraging all of our employees to go out and be involved in the communities. And a strong majority of all of our lawyers 
do that already, but not anything where in where collectively we could throw our individual talents and expertise against a project. And then once Baker got us teamed up with LSEM, it was just kind of stand back and watch everybody go. Baker and McKenzie has put together a great playbook. It lays it out there, but then it does require volunteers to get get spend out hundreds of hours. We had, I think we had 400 hours at least just from our lawyers. That's not counting the Baker McKenzie lawyers or the team that Tori and Amanda were able to bring along and spend the time to go through topic by topic and understand it. We tried to get it started right before the pandemic. And then Mm -hmm. as so many other things started, I mean, stopped, it just kind of froze. So it took us about a year and a half longer than we hoped to get it off the ground. But once we rolled it out with our team, and then more importantly, with our senior leadership, in fact, at our internal kickoff event, Chrissy Taylor, who's our president and CEO, she came down and she kind of encouraged us and thanked us for doing this as a team. And then when we got to the closing celebration at the end, Chrissy's dad, Andy Taylor, who's our executive chairman, and Carolyn Kendall, who's Chrissy's cousin, and she runs our foundation. They were all at the event to celebrate it. Often we hear from in-house legal professionals that they want to do pro bono, but it just isn't logistically possible. They don't have the right knowledge or the right infrastructure, or they aren't sure the corporation really supports it. This project is special because it addresses all of those barriers. Baker and McKenzie brings the infrastructure, the playbook, as Mike calls it. The corporation is the named lead on the project, inviting its legal professionals to get involved so they know it is supported. And the project asks the lawyers to do research and writing, a core skill we all learned in law school. But they have the assurance that their work will be overseen by experts. And how many lawyers were involved from Enterprise? We had about 30 attorneys from Enterprise that were involved. We have a couple of departments where we have attorneys that are outside of the corporate legal group. This allowed us for the first time to have all the lawyers that were in different roles. This was our North American lawyers. We have lawyers that are based overseas as well, and we're actually trying to find a similar project and talk to Baker McKenzie about it. But we had summer clerks working on it. I think Baker McKenzie had some of their summer associates working on it. And then Tori and Amanda were able to align the individual subject matter experts that came back and because we were in places where we don't normally operate as corporate lawyers. So they could come back and make sure that we had the research and the analysis correctly. And then most importantly, because I think this is one of the other magical things of the resource is then take it out of legalese and put it into language, whether it is one of these children or somebody, whether it's a school counselor or an advocate or somebody else throughout the state that needs to go through and get it in kind of plain language. And that's where I think the legal services team was able to add value. We tried to speak in plain language, but they were able to come in and make sure both that we were legally and factually accurate, but also put it in a way that would be most useful for the intended audiences. You know, Mike, when you mentioned that, part of the reason I think the project has been such a good fit for corporate legal teams is we include the attorneys and professionals on their team, too, if they want to incorporate professionals. And I'll tell you, it's those professionals that keep our feet to the fire Mm -hmm. with drafting this in plain language. They do such a great job. So many of the you know, administrative staff or other professionals in both our firm and in the in-house legal teams, they're the ones that do a ton of the editing and they push back hard on us on making sure that we're drafting this in a way that's really, truly understandable for young people and people that don't have law degrees, which I think is just really stand out for so many folks that have been involved. And I like the way this provides that opportunity for a broader swath where The folks on your team who remember what it is to talk like a regular human, (laughs) as opposed to talking like a lawyer, can bring their expertise to bear in trying to get this, make this language accessible. One of my experiences with really smart, really competent people is that they are often unwilling to step into something they don't know how to do reasonably. (laughs) Did you encounter any resistance from your team about stepping in and doing research on issues like healthcare and medical rights, mental health and substance abuse, domestic violence and dating violence? Did you encounter any resistance from your team about jumping in even just to research those issues? We did not. We did talk about some of the questions that might come up at the beginning with the entire team. 
but I think it's a tribute to the structure that's in place. It, on the one hand, Baker McKenzie has experience and they're putting practitioners in place that will help. And so we're really, Jackie, if you allow, hopefully your partners won't find this offensive either. I would think that, Liz, what you think about in this case, the enterprise lawyers and the Baker McKenzie lawyers is we're really research assistants for the subject matter experts that Tori and Amanda brought to bear. So we would go and do the analysis. We know how to do that. We know how to go through issue spotting and put it together, but we're not actually coming up with something that hasn't been vetted by an expert in it. And they're also very careful to make sure that it doesn't cross the line into the practice of law. I think it's actually a pretty important and critical element. A lawyer ought not to be offering legal advice where she or he isn't an expert in that regard. But so what we've tried to do is strike that balance here where we're using our legal talents, our legal training and skills, and to put it into a resource that points the way towards. And then also having subject matter experts who confirm whether it's healthcare law or it's licensing law or criminal law, make sure that we're giving proper statement of what the law is, but not giving actual legal advice to an individual client. And that's so crucial, Mike. And that's also why finding the right nonprofit partner in the state that really has their pulse on the legal issues to be able to do that higher level expert review and also connect in other partners across the state so that we're getting this work product into the hands of people that can truly say, you know, yes, we've looked at this, we've got the expertise to kind of review and analyze that and make it, make sure it's at the level of quality and on point that we want. Jackie and her team are so thoughtful about how they approach this pro bono project. Jackie told me about yet another strategy that they use to get the legal professionals to stay committed to the project. When you were asking about volunteers and their involvement and their nerves about doing things they haven't done, because you're 100% right, Lish. One of the things we always do is we ask people to rank the chapters they're most interested in. And part of this, I think, is I'm always surprised by the number of volunteers that come into the project and have picked a chapter because maybe they had a personal issue in the past. I worked with one of the volunteers on, I think it was our public benefits chapter, who had shared that before she went to law school, she was a struggling single mom and she was trying to navigate as an adult with a child of her own, trying to navigate this complicated web of trying to get benefits so that she and her child had the resources that they need. And she found it so overwhelming and had to connect with all sorts of people to be able to just figure out how to file for like the most basic benefits. And so when she had the option of picking a chapter, she picked public benefits because she said, I want to make this easier for somebody else. And there's all those like hidden stories amongst the people we work with every day that have some interest or have some past experience that say, hey, you know what, I want to make this easier for other people. And there's a lot of folks that say, hey, I just want to help youth experiencing homelessness. So put me where you need me. And we are grateful for those people too. But it's really the, it's the people that have that personal connection, I think, that come to the project and invest in it in order to make things better for other people, which always is just such a standout to me. That's a very smart approach to give people some autonomy about where they want to focus in their efforts. And it clearly works because you've got the right subject matter experts. And if you look at the breadth of handbooks across the country, you can see that the experts come, they tend to be, they're all nonprofits, but they come from different kinds of nonprofits. So how did you get the right Missouri substantive homeless youth rights experts on this project? From a couple places, I would fondly say that we crowdsource information to find out who really is on the cutting edge of legal issues in the state, who's got the reputation that they work hard and diligently on behalf of youth experiencing homelessness? Who has the legal team to be able to support this? Because this is a bit of a research stretch on the nonprofits. And I don't want to leave that aside for a second because they are they only have so much time and they are choosing to invest with us collectively on this project. And so making sure that you know it's an organization that has that kind of legal team. But Legal Services of Eastern Missouri for us was a name that came up very early and with a lot of really strong folks around the country that said, these are the people doing some of the best work for youth experiencing homelessness in the state of Missouri and the right people to work on this project. So, Tori and Amanda, what did you all think when you first got approached about this project? Get in the Wayback Machine and try to remember. And remember, I've been in legal aid, too. 
And so I know that sometimes a proposed pro bono project can be a mixed blessing. Let's say that. Amanda, do you want to? I can start us off. For a long time now, I think we had been wanting to see a resource like this come to Missouri. And we were kind of waiting for the right synergy, right, to come along, uh, the right partners, the right people. And so, yeah, in the middle of a pandemic, I think, or towards maybe the end of it, I guess, is when we did hear from one of our very strong legal partners at the National Law Center on homelessness and poverty reached out and said, I think it's time. I think we're ready to do this. What do you think? And so we definitely had to have sort of a moment of, are we ready to do this? You know, is this the right time? And we were really just so honestly, just so excited. And we felt very lucky. And we knew it would be a lot of hard work, but such a needed resource because, you know, there are very few education lawyers who represent students experiencing homelessness. And so our program, our education justice program is very unique to Missouri, as well as Tory's project. So we definitely knew there was a statewide need for, yes, many more of us. And if we couldn't be there and we couldn't deliver that legal services the way that we would like to, we wanted to have as far of a reach as we could get. I know for myself individually, too, in law school, I interned with Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. And actually, during that period of time, they had launched the Homeless Youth Handbook in Illinois. And so I fondly remember taking a copy of that handbook. And it actually was with me in my office when I started this new position with the Youth and Family Advocacy Program. And so it had always kind of been a dream project for me. We had our first unit meeting and I kind of laid out what my goals were for the program because I'm the only staff attorney with our program. One of my goals was I would love to bring something like this to Missouri. And then you take on a bunch of individual cases and you get distracted and you're working on a bunch of different things, but it always was there. And so when Amanda approached me about this, that she had received an email from somebody I was completely on board. I was sold before she even completed the sentence. And so I also think it came in a unique point in my career, too. At that point, I had been serving as a staff attorney with the Youth and Family Advocacy Program for about two-ish years. And I feel like I got to this point where you almost learn too much and you really kind of decide that you need to take a pivot and do something that has a much broader impact. So a lot of what our work is, I take on individual cases, I'm working with youth, but we always try to keep our eye on how can we make this impact much broader. And so this was just a beautiful kind of medley of a lot of different things that came together at a really beautiful point in time. And so I had no hesitation jumping in. Also personally too, I had found out I was pregnant too. I found out, had just found out I was pregnant too. So I had like, you know, eight months to just like dive into this and leave. But so I was like, I'm, I've got to be all in. I got to go hard for eight months. And then, you know, hit a black wall for 16 weeks and then reemerged when this thing was all put together. I, I couldn't have been more thrilled. Had you ever worked with Mike and the team at Enterprise before this project? We hadn't, but I can say that it felt like we've worked with them before. <laughs> we had a like a, a launch event in December. And I, I just felt like the energy was there. It just felt very natural from the get-go. Um, and that's no small part having to do with Mike is just has great energy. And I felt like he really approached the project from a really genuine place. You know, he said wonderful things about his team and the legal research, but he also really has a huge heart too, which is very apparent from working with him. I think one of the also the really great things about the handbook, we've already mentioned it's 22 chapters. When I engage with a young person, I'm a generalist practitioner, so I can assist them on pretty much any legal issue that they're encountering, so long as it's within my expertise and competence. Each of, I would say probably on average, every client that I serve, I open somewhere between three and five matters for them because they are experiencing kind of a whole host of legal issues. The thing that's really great about this handbook, it it addresses that problem. One person may approach the handbook thinking that they have one legal issue and find flipping through it, oh, I actually have these other legal issues as well. And this is a one-stop shop where I can have all of my legal issues addressed. I can't imagine here in our state right now that there is such a resource for anybody. And while we say this is a, a youth homeless handbook, a lot of the information applies to adults and families as well. 
It's also a handbook for service providers. This has come up a couple of times, but let's really put a pin in it that a lot of times, whether it's a state agency or just a social services nonprofit, I've even seen this at Legal Aid, there is a hesitancy about whether you are allowed to help or what you are allowed to do for youth. I think having a handbook like this for professionals to go to, to say, what am I allowed to give or do with this youth? is a huge deal in smoothing their access to stuff, even if the youth never actually looks at it. If we can get the professionals to get a clear sense of what's possible, that alone is going to have a huge impact. When I click around the handbook online, I think two things. As a user, I think, wow, this has a lot of chapters and detail in it. And as a potential pro bono contributor, I think, whoa, this has a lot of chapters and detail in it. I asked the team to talk to me about the experience of actually building the Missouri Handbook. So this thing is huge. What was it like building it together? What was the process? Well, let me jump in because I don't want you to scare people off. It's huge and it's manageable. But part of the, for our team list, that was really kind of a neat experience for us was we broke up by topics and Baker did a really nice job of They start with a framework, if you will, and then working with your local partner, what we did with LSEM, you figure out, are there any other areas that are unique to your state? But then there's teams and divide up by teams and the teams go and work together on it. So for example, me and we had two other lawyers on my team, we got to work together. We kind of sat down and approached it like you would any other issue that might be unique and start working through and dividing it up and then working to try to get it into an organized outline of information, if you will. But going back to the comment you were making a moment ago about for the professionals who are out accessing it, what we also wanted to do was find trustworthy resources because part of the book is a point in time. In fact, we had, ironically, after we had thought we had done all the work and it was basically in final editing, the DOPS decision came down. So we had to hit a pause and go back and that particular chapter we needed to revisit and make sure that it was done. So the book becomes a snapshot. We have them here. I encourage anybody else that's considering them to think about it as a physical resource. But what Baker has done with the Homeless Youth Handbook, the digital access, that's a dynamic resource. And so it can be updated. So as we're identifying either separate government agencies or topical links to go to. You can use hyperlinks and other things that can stay up to date and dynamic to go through. But it wasn't, it is a comprehensive resource, but it's a manageable project that allows you to pull little tiger teams, pods together and spend time learning like you would any other topic that you might hit in your legal department and go through and just say, okay, I got to figure this out. And how do we approach that and apply our normal thinking skills as attorneys to it. I think those chapter teams are so fundamental to how we've been running the handbook and how we keep running it. Like every, I always tell folks when we train them, like every single volunteer in the Homeless Youth Handbook makes it better. You tweak the question, you give a better response, you suggest topics. We're always looking for that kind of feedback. But the one thing that has, well, two things that have never changed is we always have tremendous nonprofit and in-house legal team partners. That has not changed but we always do it in teams. And I think because it makes the work so much more manageable, but also people, we try to tell them not to spend too much time apart because you really can make everybody else's work better. We always try to give folks a good amount of time too, because people have deadlines. And so giving people weeks to work on it so they can kind of ebb and flow together as a team makes a big difference as well. And does Baker provide that kind of field marshal role of setting deadlines and keeping folks moving forward? Yeah, I'm a big deadline person. I like to have deadlines, but people do better work. And if they're put up against a deadline, we kind of marshal the whole project through the process, through deadlines. We give folks templates to start with. So we take some of the newest chapters that we've done and we create templates for every team. So they have a place to start. And that guidance from Tori and Amanda and our nonprofit partners on every state on those templates is so crucial. So folks are starting from, hey, this is a list of topics and questions that I need to answer. But I'm always most excited about the volunteers that really take that and say, okay, I'm going to add to this because I think we can do more and we can explain things better. And that's part of the making every book better 
every single time we do this exercise. Yeah, I would echo that build along effect because even as we were looking through this, as you might imagine, there are some issues that are federal related. And so as we were looking at those, you could compare it back to some of the earlier generations and the laws changed Mm -hmm. or the approach has changed. And then you were able to, you add topics too, as you go. So what Baker set up is something by the time they get to the 50th state, I imagine it'll be even huger if I can use, if I can use that word. But it, there is that kind of, I, it's not the classic virtuous cycle. It's this kind of increasing build along that you can see when they get to the 18th book or the 20th book, the kids that are in those particular states are going to have even a better resource and maybe generation two is going back and refreshing some of the books that have been done in the past to catch them up with that build on effect that, that Jackie was describing. I think that build along process makes it possible for other folks to come along and say, thank you so much for showing us the path to get this done. Yeah, the Missouri handbook, some of the chapters have been used as the new templates going forward for some of the new states that we're doing, right? So just ex- exactly what you guys are talking about. And I You know, for so many big research projects like this, it's all about just finding that corner to start from. You know, if we said, hey, let's write 22 substantive chapters, let's go, we're not going to get very good work product out of people because that's too big of a lift. So we try to always spend a lot of time on the front end thinking, how do we organize this and really divide it so that it's a doable thing for people to do? And, you know, we're always trying to improve at that so that the folks, the time they spend in working on this project is really their quality time, right? Like we want their best work. We want to take away as many hurdles as we can in getting to kind of that best feedback and best product that we can give. And about how many Baker attorneys were involved in Missouri? I would say, Mike, you said about 30 plus from Enterprise. I would say equal. And then if not, probably a little bit more closer to 50. I often have a lot of our folks in-house help with the final editing through the chapters, doing, you know, two or three cold reads, making sure that we're good with the content. We have made it as understandable as possible. So I pull from a lot of our team, both in North America, but honestly, around the globe. I pull people from all over the place that want to just be part of the work. And and especially if they're cold to the handbook, it's even better because they're going to help look at things from a fresh set of eyes of somebody that doesn't know anything about how, you know, shelters in the state of Missouri is going to do a better job reading it for readability, particularly with a youth lens, Mm -hmm. than somebody who's worked on the handbook. It's one of the few spaces where you can recruit someone for a pro bono project and say, I want you because you know nothing. Right. (laughs) People love that. (laughs) They love that. (laughs) Aside from the important benefits to youth and the adults who help them, Mike talked about the positive impacts on enterprise and their relationship with Baker and McKenzie. I think one of the added benefits for both the firm and the company in our case is during the course of working together, as you would on any project, the lawyers become closer together personally and those relationships. Mm -hmm. So when we get back to the normal work that we need to do on behalf of our company and we need to reach into Baker and McKenzie as one of our outside partner firms there, you've got these deepened relationships and there's trust and there's better understanding. And frankly, there's some osmosis, if you will, that goes towards Baker and McKenzie because during the course of that, they learn our business better. So from a general counsel seat, there was this other benefit that we think will make us better and stronger going forward. So, Tori, Amanda, about how many folks from Legal Services of Eastern Missouri were involved in this project? Amanda, we made a list at one point. I believe it was approximately 10 to 15 other attorneys internally. You know, we have a robust housing program managed by the most experienced housing attorney, I think, in the state of Missouri. And we have, a you know, a lot of different other specialties here that allowed us to have the expertise, the eye towards double-checking and editing and offering feedback. And we also did reach out to other legal partners and community partners Mm -hmm. to do some review and editing as well, because we did want to make sure, especially when it came to accessibility and how we were writing the handbook, that it did come across as understandable. We have a pretty robust social work team here at Legal Services as well. So we also consulted our social work staff, too, to do some review, especially of like the LGBTQ plus chapter to make sure that the language we were using was all inclusive and some of that more cultural competency component as well. 
I would also note a plug that there is a contributors page on the Homeless Youth Handbook website, as well as in the physical handbook to actually give recognition to all the folks that worked on this, because truly without all of the volunteers, we could not have made this happen. That's fantastic. All right. What was the hardest part of working on the project? Certainly, we've already covered that you were beginning to get going when the pandemic hit, and so that caused a pause. There was, I now have a deadline because I am bringing a new person into the world. <laughs> but anything else? I've got two hard hard things I'll share to start, and then love to hear from Mike and Tori and Amanda. It's a long project. It is hard to keep volunteers engaged and invested in this project over this period of time. And so, you know, one of the ways you kind of get over that is a lot of communication to make pe- sure people know where the project sits because there's a there's work time and then there's downtime. And so a lot of that is just keeping engaged with the team as much as you possibly can so that folks know where things sit so they don't think this project has kind of fallen into like the black hole and it's never going to be finished. So that's one piece. I think the other most challenging part of it is a bit of what we talked about is the complexity of the legal issues that young people face. So, so many of the answers in the handbook are influenced by if someone is un- is someone is under the age of whatever the majority is in that state, if a young person has undocumented status, if the young person is in foster care. And it's a real challenge to draft answers that fully encapsulate those different scenarios. And so I feel like that's a piece we do our absolute best on, but that's somewhere where I feel like as we continue to progress with the handbooks and make things better every single time that we can keep trying to reframe how we do the questions to make sure that we're incorporating some of those bigger challenges that come in any young person situation. So we started with pandemic and pregnancy, and then I think Jackie just talked about patience. <laughs> what was hard? I think the hardest thing, Liz, and we touched on a little bit at the earlier in the discussion today, is getting over the skepticism. So if you're sitting back and evaluating it for your company, is this a doable project? It is, and hopefully a lot of the questions discussed today will help answer that. And you've got to have great partners. Obviously, Baker McKenzie has a great playbook, and Tori and Amanda and their other team, they made this work. But you do have to have discussions internally. For us, it was easy. And once we got past that, then the project took on great momentum. But I can see that might be a challenge if somebody's considering a project of this magnitude and everybody's trying to do day-to-day work in you know an economy that's not clear where the headwinds are going to be. And we're all trying to make sure we do the work we need to do for the company. I would just say it's doable, it's exciting, and I don't mean to sound trite at all, but what's hard is being a 16-year-old and not knowing where you're going to sleep tonight. So hopefully everybody can get their arms around that and their heads around that and their hearts around that and you know roll up their sleeves for the other states that could use a resource like this. I think just as an attorney, we are constantly evaluating risk in our head. So in putting out general information, it was difficult for me to find where is the end point in the information that we provide, because I'm constantly reassessing. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure. If you go down this path, then these are the possibilities here. If you choose this path, these are the possibilities. So really trying to take a step back and limit some of the information because you don't want to overcomplicate. You don't want to overwhelm your audience. So that was a real struggle for me personally. So it it is a challenge. One, I think you all overcame beautifully in figuring out where those boundaries are. Amanda, did you want to weigh in? I think everyone has really said it very well. I mean, I definitely, you know, going into this, you know, I I wanted this to be the best product it can be. And it was a little bit hard at times to let go. You know, this is the chapter. It's where we're going to land with this right now. Uh, We have the ability to update the chapter, you know, and make changes if we need to, uh, the online version. And so that's always a plus. As a perfectionist, as someone who deeply cares about this this youth population, we want to make it just phenomenal. So let's talk about that point that of the revisions and the updates. You know, you printed a book, you threw a party. And so sometimes it's hard when you're like, we're done. Woohoo. And then you call people and say, yeah, the law has shifted. How, how do you approach the organizational management part of keeping the engagement and the energy up and figuring out when is the right time and what is the right method for updating? 
we try to do whole scale updates to handbooks about every two years. It's realistically about every three years, right? Trying to re-engage the whole team and say, okay, these are the major changes, but we want to take a full look at every single chapter in the handbook because hyperlinks break, laws change, but for the quick changes that need to happen because a law has changed or we need to get information out there, we can make those as quick as need be. And so a lot of times... I know Chicago Coalition for the Homeless was mentioned earlier, and they are phenomenal at staying at the pulse of things and writing very quickly to us and saying, we need to change these two things quickly. And the website is developed and built entirely in-house at Baker McKenzie. So I have an amazing team of folks that they will do that within 24 hours as soon as we need to. So it's, you know, we always try to take our lead from the folks on the ground in the state, like Amanda and Tori, that know what is going on to, to guide us on what is most urgent but try to also keep a schedule for let's get everything looked at again to make sure things are the most as up to date as absolutely possible as often as possible. So when you either put out a web page or put out a handbook, it is sometimes hard to know who's using it or what's being done with it. Do you all have any stories that have come back to you of concrete ways that this has impacted individual folks? Several weeks ago, we did an event at the local public library here in St. Louis, and we distributed copies of the Homeless Youth Handbook. And one library staff person in particular approached us, and she was just completely relieved to have a resource like this. I really get this sense of relief from the community, which wasn't something that I necessarily anticipated. So there was definitely excitement. There was a lot of buzz about the Homeless Youth Handbook, but there was kind of like this sigh of relief, like finally we have something. And so for this particular person, libraries oftentimes are the front lives, are front lines of working with the general population. But people that are staffed at the library, they have library science degrees. They're not social workers. They're not attorneys. Yet part of their job is helping young people, people that are accessing the library, helping them connect to resources. So this person in particular, she was flipping through the handbook. She took a few of them. She was like, I am so happy to have something like this. Just like a one place that I can connect with all the information I need. I know somebody right now that needs information about accessing identification. You could tell she was going through the Rolodex in her head of all the people that have contacted her recently that she met at the library and thinking, oh, there's a chapter for this and this. And so she was just absolutely relieved to have a resource there available to her and also in print. And one thing that we haven't mentioned either is that obviously there's a website, but it's really compatible for a phone, Mm -hmm. which is imperative for young people. It's very easy to navigate on your phone. Baker McKenzie has done an excellent job making sure that, you know, everything looks exactly how it does on the website. We always get a lot of notes every time a handbook has launched in a state from people around the state that are just effusive with their praise and excitement that this resource exists. And it's probably one of my favorite things about launching a handbook is that kind of just excitement and energy in the community from people that say, where has this been? I'm going to share that with friends. That energy and those notes, those are important measures of impact. But here's another measure. In the first 11 months of 2023, the Homeless Youth Handbook website got 66,000 hits. What's been the impact on you all of working on this project? Mike, you talked about deepening relationships between Enterprise and Baker. Do you feel like it's deepened the relationship between Enterprise and legal services of Eastern Missouri? It has. In fact, when you asked earlier about what's hard, one of the things that struck me is what's next. And Tori and Amanda and I are trying to figure that out because you you spend all this time and it was probably a year working together. There were different points when your intensity of your effort pulsed in or out. But for my team, it's created a sense of cohesion around something that feels so purpose-driven. And so we're trying to figure out where this goes next. It's also, frankly, increased within the company, a little bit of credibility, if you will, for the law department on what we do. Because again, the lawyers go and they work on projects alongside our business partners all the time, but we haven't had something that we could point to and say, hey, here's where our legal followed the enterprise mission and did it in a way that kind of uniquely leveraged what we did. And that's been great. It's it's impactful that our CEO was at our kickoff. It's impactful that our chairman was at our celebration at the end. And that's also a testament to the fact that the company is supporting another one of their corporate departments doing this. What else? 
What didn't I ask that I should have? Or anything else that people want folks to hear? There was one other, there was one other partner, the artwork that is part of the, the cover of the book and the posters. And we were able to partner with a local art agency that focuses on youth that are aspiring to be artists. It's called St. Louis Artworks. And two different local St. Louis youth contributed to the artwork that's part of this project. And we were able to commission for those artists. The- we try to make sure with every handbook that it's an artist from the community with lived experience or a young person or somebody that has a touch point. But the most important feature is we always try to make sure it's from the community and always compensate those artists. So many, too many times young people are asked to contribute things without being compensated for their work and talent, like we would compensate other people. So we make sure that, that happens as well. It was such a joy to sit down and talk with this group. And I particularly like the way they think. I ask what's hard. And Mike says, what's next? And because this group is so in sync, Jackie is ready to talk about what's next for this national project. So we're always looking to figure out how to improve the site, how to make it easier for young people to navigate and to make sure the information is there as helpful as possible. So one of the interesting tech things that we've been playing around with is adding a chatbot feature so that we have a really robust search on the Homeless Youth Handbook site, but we've been exploring trying to find a chatbot chat bot tool that would allow volunteers to also sit behind the chatbot on certain occasions. So if a young person comes in, has a legal question, is trying to get there directed to the right information, that we could offer that to volunteers to sit behind the chatbot on occasion. And then when folks weren't there, it would be an even more robust search tool. So we are in the process of kind of evaluating different different pieces that would work really well for the Homeless Youth Handbook site. And then the last piece of it is, Tori, you touched on the issue with getting legal identification, particularly for this population of young people. And we've been doing a lot of work on legal ID in conjunction with the National Network for Youth as well. And we piloted a legal ID hotline across the country really just open up the phone lines with pro bono volunteers answering the phones under training and direction from, you know, tremendous partner organizations who work in legal ID all the time to help young people get answers and navigate some of that challenging legal ID kind of questions that they have. And so many of those are really complicated because we're not talking typically about a young person that's in Missouri and was born in Missouri and knows exactly they were born and has access to things. We're oftentimes talking about young people that have been in child welfare, that have crossed borders, that don't have connections to their parents, and were born someone outside of Missouri that suddenly need help with getting a birth certificate. And so we've been playing around a lot with trying to formalize that ID hotline. And our plan, once we get this tech piece resolved on the ID hotline, is to launch it in the coming year, hopefully first into second quarter of 2024. And this will be a great opportunity, Mike, for volunteers to staff the ID hotline. And I did a lot of the answering of the phone line when we did the beta test hotline. And it was interesting how many calls we got, particularly from folks in schools, from school counselors, McKenny Vento liaisons, teachers that were trying to help a young person that had, you know, was born somewhere in a completely different state and was moving around and moving again soon. And they're trying to get them as much information as they can in their hands. And so I'm excited that we're going to kick that off next year, but it's going to be a great opportunity for us to again, partner with so many amazing in-house legal teams like Enterprise and all of our partners on the Homeless Youth Handbook and other folks that have been invested with this work. If folks are interested in getting one going, if they want their team to come to the table with Baker, what can they do? The easiest thing to do is to reach out to our pro bono team at probono at bakermckenzie.com. We get a lot of emails routinely from either legal aid organizations in the state and in-house legal teams that say, hey, how do we bring this to our state? And we start from that point to build out the rest of the team. So we're always looking for folks that are invested and interested in making this happen in their state. So don't be a stranger. We're all about getting great pro bono work done for more young people experiencing homelessness. So reach out if you're interested and we'd love to sync up. I promise you, Jackie means it. Her team has a vision and a playbook 
to create a handbook everywhere there are kids in need. But they need pro bono professionals and local subject matter experts to make it happen. I'm hoping you've already looked up whether your state has a handbook. And if your state doesn't have a handbook yet, and you're on an in-house counsel team, ask yourself, what could you do to get the conversation started at your company? Thanks for listening to Pursuing Justice, The Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. This production is dedicated to the pro bono and public interest lawyers working to improve access to justice. A special thanks goes to our producer, Daniel Pinitz, as well as our host, Alicia Aiken. Please note that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast represent those of the individuals being interviewed and not necessarily those of PLI. PLI is a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys and other professionals at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. For more information about PLI's wide-ranging curriculum of pro bono programs, visit pli.edu/probono.